Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leopard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, welcome to everybody. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, we also have uh, the new podcast. I think that's that's been a hit. People are, yes. are listening to that. If they can't tune in Saturday mornings, you can go out to our website, moneymb.net, and uh, we have a link to the podcast site, right, that lists all exactly. the podcasts that we've done over the last six to nine months. Yeah, you can also stream us right off our website there um, in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, but do check us out on our website. You can link to us there, ask us questions. Like John mentioned, listen to our podcast. You can email us directly as well at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, I think we have an exciting show today, as usual. Um, a lot of great things to talk about here. We do. We do. I have a, a quiz for the uh, listeners today. Five questions. Five, yep, you Five do. financial questions, and, and when we get into the segment, I have two questions for you guys. So, Uh-oh. Well, good. It's always like a test first thing in the morning. There is a it's, test today, yeah. so get that piece of paper and the pen out and get ready to write these down. All right, we'll do it. Yeah, you're going to be on our A-list, just like all of our hard professors. <laughs> yeah, right. That'll be exciting. Okay, that, that'll be a, it is a good topic, though, and it's a great test, and there's a good... Uh, the results are mm-hmm. meaningful, right? Oh, I mean, people that pass this test, they they get higher returns. H- historically, I mean, based on this uh, study they did, yes, that's exactly Very right. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, and then we got the six tips to getting a great car deal. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, so many people go to buy a car, and it's a terrifying process. They think they got a good deal, and bottom line is they end up getting getting hosed somewhere through the process. Yeah, so we got the tips to avoid doing that, and I guarantee if you follow these tips, you will get a pretty decent car deal. Yes. So listen up if you're getting ready to buy a car anytime in the next 10 years. <laughs> anytime. Yeah, that's right. So That's most everybody. And that's then, pretty much Then government. we get to everyone's favorite, most favorite Oh, I love subject. this topic. Taxes. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah. Just don't Thanks, mess up. Gordon. Just don't mess up. But what if you do mess up? Ah, huh? well. We've got a couple of solutions for you, so... Hang in there. We'll we'll talk about those. Yeah, well. CPA hat on, huh? That's right. Uh, no, we're we're going to defer that to the tax professionals. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. But we do have some great tips that will help. Um, you know, take take a look if if you did happen to file incorrectly. Yeah, and it happens. It does. And it is a very important topic. So obviously, you need to pay attention to that. All right, and that leads up here though to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Urban Institute and. Guys, we hear about Social Security, um, people not liking the system. I don't know about you guys, but um, it is an important system. When we sit down with someone to do planning, um, usually you know, 30 to 40% of their retirement income is going to come from 
Social Security. So uh, for some people, it's more like 80 or 90 percent. So it is a good. Very important. It is an important. Just, just not necessarily a great deal for everybody. It's is not it? a great deal for everybody. And that is the financial fact of the week. And uh, so here, here it is. An average high income uh, American couple defined as someone who has made at least $125,000. It's a very nice income um, that will retire in about five years. They will actually pay more into the system than what they'll get out. They'll pay about nine hundred fifty thousand into the system. Excuse me, about nine hundred thousand. They'll get out about seven hundred fifty thousand. So, not a real good deal based on those, you know, those demographics making a, a you know a nice income like that. But for most people, it is a pretty good deal. That's pretty much a horrible deal. Yeah, well, I mean, so they're going, they're going to get back eighty three cents on every dollar they pay in. That's why it's called social. Security. <laughs> it's not your security. Not it's social security. security. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does good provide point. for folks that are not mm-hmm. able to save or have big incomes. It, it allows them to have a reasonable retirement. We we see that when we do counseling and we have some clients that that is a, the majority of their income. So um, it's not a good deal from a, a retirement standpoint per se. If you're if you could save money on your own, but. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, the problem is most people won't save. A lot of people won't save on their own, so we need Social Security. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Very important system, so uh, just not a great deal. It needs some restructuring like like a lot of things in our <laughs> society. Yeah, some so, thoughts on that, Mr. Marbert. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, that's for another show. All right, well, good good uh, financial fact of the week, though, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the proven way to retire rich. It's not... It actually can be done. Yeah. Isn't that right? You know, and basically what it boils down to, guys, is um, if you have some knowledge, if you um, if you study some of the, the financial topics, um, that you have a better chance of making the right decisions. Some people work with advisors. Some people don't. But um, there are five questions that we're going to go through to um, to see whether or not, you know, you pass. And surprisingly... There were only about thirty percent of people that actually passed all five questions. Oh wow! So not a real high. Yeah, that's high pretty percentage. low. <clears throat> so, but I, I These um, must be really hard. Well, they, you have to think through them a little bit. So, <laughs> um, you know, there was a study done, guys, by uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research, and they had folks from uh, University of Pennsylvania, George Washington, North Carolina State, and they recently re- released the, uh, the the data on this. And in it, the authors found that individuals who had the most financial knowledge. And that was, you know, through these five questions, had investment returns that were on average 1.3% higher annually. And so the, the actual numbers were 9.5% versus 8.2%. And so they had 1.3% higher than those who didn't have as much knowledge. So the folks that passed this test, so to speak, got these answers right? All five of them right. Yeah, and, you know, that may not sound like a big difference, but, you know, 1.3% over a course of 30 years that's a 25% higher result, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of 30 years. So that's a huge difference, you know, over your working life, your retirement, be 25% higher, have 25% higher income coming out of your your investments. So, um, you know, knowing the answers to these five questions did have a direct correlation to having 25% more money at the end of their their uh, working and years. That, that's significant. But before we go into the five questions, here's, uh, here's some questions for you guys. Uh, are you smarter than a fifth grader? All right. Oh uh, yeah. So okay. These questions okay, are easy. Maybe short answer. All right. Some so days maybe, I am. Right. Pins on if I have <laughs> my coffee yet. So here's the question: Which one of the following is not one of the five Great Lakes? All right. Which one is not one of the five Great Lakes? Wait Lake. a minute. Are we are we talking geography? Or are we talking money? <clears throat> it sounds like this geography. Is, this is geography here, man. Right. Lake Erie, Lake Mead, Lake Huron, or Lake Michigan. Which one is not? Is not? 
B. Lake Mead. Lake Mead. You guys are smarter than a fifth grader. All right. Yeah, like all right. One more, Steve. One more test right. here. How many, how, many, how many bones are in the human body? Bones? 300, 206, 195, or 215? A buttload. <laughs> it's a hundreds, right? I'm going to go it's with a, it's like That's a number. It's say like the numbers again. That's 215? It's 206, 195, 215, or 300. Oh man! I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's, hundred, it's, it's hundreds. I'll save you. It's two oh six. That's what I was going to guess. I was guess an odd number. So I was going to say two oh six. The reason why I say these questions is because the financial questions that we're about to go through are are difficult for people that are not in the financial industry, right? Right. right. I mean, so you know, if you're going through this, I want you to take your your piece of paper out now and your pen and write these down. So the first question is, it has to do with interest rates. And suppose you had a hundred dollars in a savings account. And the interest rate was two percent per year. All right, hundred bucks in a savings account, two percent per year. After five years, how much do you think you'd have in the account if you left the money to grow? So there's three choices: more than one ten, exactly one ten, or less than one ten. And two um, percent times five years—that's ten percent. Yep. If you didn't compound the interest, and it's compounding. Of course, it's compounding. compounding. So, so it's going to be more than obviously it's going to be more than one ten. It is. It is. And and you know that question seems very easy. But if you're not familiar with compounding interest, it may not be. Yeah, so, that's the whole point here. That's one on interest rates. The second one here. Imagine that the interest rate on your savings account was one percent per year, and inflation was two percent per year. Kind of close to what it is now. Uh, yeah, similar right, circumstances. Right, right, right. After one year, how much would you be able to buy with the money in this account? So the first choice is more than today. The second choice is exactly the same, and the third choice is less than today. So the question is: Are you winning or losing After compared inflation. to inflation? So one percent versus two percent, you're losing. Two percent right? inflation. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're you're definitely losing. Um, you know, your purchasing power associated with it. So again. Sounds easy, but you know economics and and trying to match these two things together. Most people don't match inflation to the interest rate. Well, that and a lot of people. That, when you say that about inflation, they may not even think about that. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, true. If it's not out in front of them being discussed all the time, but we exactly. see it all the time. You know, we talk about it. That's right. And the third question here is: Is this statement true or false? Buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual fund. And if you listen to this show, everybody's going to get that one right. Yeah, the right. question is, do you know what a stock mutual fund is? Yeah. That, that's really the question. Probably. You know, if you know what a stock mutual fund is, obviously you're going to say, well, that's that's Safety safer. In numbers. That's right. So the yeah. answer is false. Is not a single stock <laughs> is not safer than typically than a stock mutual fund. So, you know, those are three questions that we that we look at. We've got two more that we're going to cover after the break. Um, but it was interesting, guys. Again, there you know there was about you know thirty percent of people who actually got this right. All five questions, and, and only those 30% made the higher rate of return. So, you know, listening to this show, if you're listening, that's a great way to get educated on some sure of the is. topics out there. So, and being educated does make a difference. Absolutely. That's, that's it really does. the Read key some here. books. Dave Ramsey has a great book. So we'll cover the other two questions when we come back. Okay. Sounds good. Good topic. And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marber, the Certified Financial Planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about 
the proven way to get rich. Um, do you know? Are you smarter than a fifth yeah. grader? Right? Do you yeah, know the right. answer to these questions? Yeah, this is a different take. I don't think we've seen a, a study like this, but there was a, a group of professors that did a study on just financial knowledge. They gave people five questions, and um, you know, they they then correlated back to their uh, rates of return based on those five questions. There are about thirty percent that got all five right. Did they elaborate on the demographics or the the study group that they? They questioned. I, I, they did not. That's a good question. I don't know how many participants were in there. Maybe it was like three people or something, or no, three thousand. I, mean, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I thought the same thing. And what the, what that age group might have looked like, because you know that that also I think plays a factor into it does. the the working knowledge. Hopefully, as well. it was you know statistically you know in the in the ballpark of where it should be. So um, maybe across the board too. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is 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 people that have a more knowledgeable based on these five questions. Have a higher rate of return, one point three percent annually. You can have twenty five percent more in your nest egg, um, you know, if you are a little bit more knowledgeable. So the couple questions we talked about, interest rates was one of them. Inflation, the impact of inflation on returns. We also looked at uh, risk um, as another, you know, area of finance that you need to understand a little bit. And we have. Gordon's favorite topic, tax. No, <laughs> everyone's favorite topic, right? <laughs> uh, well, all right. Let's let's assume that you're in the twenty five percent tax bracket. That means you pay twenty five cent for each dollar that you earn, and you contribute a hundred dollars pre tax to an employer four hundred one k plan or some type of retirement plan. Your take home pay. Now that's what's in your paycheck. All right, we're really trying to bring these cookies down to where everybody can, you know, <clears throat> understand them. Um, your take home pay after all taxes. Other payments are taken out, and other payments are taken out will then be A, declined by $100, B, declined by $75, C, declined by $50, or D, remain the same. All right, so let me get this straight. You take $100 out of your paycheck. Correct. You're in a 25% tax bracket. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so your your $100 comes out of your pay, but you get... How much do you realize? But you, you defer taxes. But you save 25% on taxes. 25% of your taxes, right. So, so you only see a difference of 75. Yeah, there you go. There you go. What's it going to be? There, it's 75. I think through that one a little bit, but there's the power of uh, deferral, right, in 401ks is kind right. of the concept there. So that's a good one. That's a good one. And the last one here is matching. Uh, assume that an employer matched um, contributions dollar for dollar. So if the employee contributes $100 in the 401k, his account balance in the plan, including his contribution, would increase by fifty, increase by a hundred, or increase by two hundred. So, you know, company matches. Some people don't take advantage of that, but if you did put a hundred dollars in, the company gives you a hundred dollars. So that'd it increased su- by that'd 200. be sweet. Yeah, dollar for dollar match. Be, now, what, kind, what kind of return is that, John? That's pretty good. That's that hundred percent. I was say, yeah. do we have any investments that we're looking at any, right now? Any takers of the hundred percent? I like yeah, that. That's, that's, um, <clears throat> that's a pretty good return. Though. You got to get that. So, guys, why these questions aren't necessarily complex? I mean, some of them are tough, and and few people can answer all, you know all of them correctly. Um, actually, only about thirty three percent answered every single one correctly, and the average score was a little bit better when you when you looked at all the participants. They actually made uh, 3.8 out of 5, which is about a 76 on there. So, you know, certainly, you know, understanding some of these concepts will help you make better decisions, which, you know, based on the study would lead to higher returns. So, Yeah, so the question is, what did those people who were able to answer those questions do to actually generate higher returns? Why did they get higher returns? You know, and the authors found one of the biggest reasons that that the most financially literate people had the greatest 
uh, return was because they also had the greatest propensity to hold stocks in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. So they had more equities in their portfolio. In fact, 66% of their portfolio was in equities versus 49% for those who scored the lowest. And, you know, while the portfolios were more volatile over time, the stock market makes more than fixed income or has. And so they had the best results. Yeah, and this is this is critical because it, it underscores um, the, uh, the the importance and the concept of asset allocation. We talk about that periodically. It's just how much you have in stocks versus bonds, and you know this measure um, about how much retirement savings should be put into there is, is relative. You got to look at your own situation. Um, you know, there's a rule of 100 which says you should take your age minus 100, and that should be the allocation. Um, you know, of stocks to bonds. Um, you know, maybe 110 is a, is a reasonable look 120 i think you have to look back at 2008 as a good benchmark and see what different types of portfolios did to see if you're able to stay in that particular risk profile because 2008 was a was a a, a tough year obviously for stocks and someone that you know 100 in equities was down about 40 percent. and if you can't sleep through and stay invested then that's not the right profile for you then and, and like you said every, everyone's different their situation's <laughs> different and so they have to assess that I think uh, at a personal level, mm-hmm. uh, and talking to an advisor that really helps you know walk through that process sometimes. So, um, but vital distinct another vital distinction is important because over over the long term, like we said, stocks have outlandishly outperformed bonds. Um, if you invested, let's say, a hundred dollars uh, in both stocks and bonds in nineteen twenty eight, your hundred dollars in bonds would be worth roughly seven thousand dollars at the end of two thousand fourteen. But that same $100 invested in stocks would be worth more than 40 times that same number. So closer to $290,000. Which one would uh, you prefer there? Yeah, I think the uh, the higher one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, granted, that's uh, that's quite the spread there. But with with that, I sure mean, we is. talk about volatility in the stock market, and um, that's one way knowledge can help. And I think, guys, that's one thing that that we try to impart on our clients and uh, through the radio show is just a little bit of knowledge to not make rash decisions, emotional decisions. If you go back to um, to the nineteen twenties when the uh, Great Depression hit, it you know there was about a fifteen year period that bonds outperform stocks. And so there are probably a lot of people during that time frame that completely abandoned stocks. But, you know, the numbers you just went through, Gordon um, and, and Steve, we see this after, you know, bear markets. People are traumatized by the stock market, and they'll stay in bonds or cash for a long period of time. But, I mean, the fact is, you know, you have to get the right allocation um, in your portfolio. And part of the right allocation is having some knowledge on financial topics we talked about you know risk and taxes and so forth um you know everybody's circumstances are different um knowing you know what your circumstance is what you need for a retirement plan we sit down with some people from a planning standpoint and they've done such a great job saving maybe they have pension plans as well and no debt they don't need to take a lot of risk if they get five percent everything kind of works together and matches up very very nicely other folks we sit down with maybe need seven or eight percent in retirement so it's really dependent on your situation, uh, but knowledge is power. You know, and sure one thing is. you talk about a lot of times, John, that I've heard you discuss with other clients and that you know we all discuss with the uh, clients are the different buckets of money. You know, what is that investment? What's that particular piece of the pie mm-hmm. going to be used for? Right. And that a lot of times determines uh, which way you go with yeah. that allocation. That's exactly right. 
All right, yep, great topic. <clears throat> that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question um, actually sat down with a, a couple um, uh, last week or two weeks ago, and um, they were um, newly married, been married for about a month, and they both had kids. And so the question is, is we're newly married uh, for a second time and trying to blend two families, any suggestions? And, you know, one of the things I think we do a lot of sometimes is um, – we do, you know, relationship counseling. I mean, just about. It, it ends right. up in, yeah. in in money and looking at budgets, but you know, there there has to be trust, um, and that's one thing. A lot of times that that you see is that there's not trust in the other person yet because they were burned in a previous relationship. So, trust is something that takes time to build. Um, but we, I basically sat down with them and and had a budget form in front of them. I printed off a budget from my um, computer and sat down and said, this is the document that you're going to build trust with. Um, both of them had kids um, who were, um, I don't want to say they were abusing the situation, but they basically were putting guilt um, on the on the parent, um, their parent, and then also the new parent in the relationship to buy them stuff. And so they both had great incomes, but sitting down and working through a budget talking about it, making decisions together, builds that trust over time. If you don't have that, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, and I think integrating your finances together, <clears throat> you know, as much as possible and as quickly as possible will help, you know. I mean, to, to, to merge two families, I mean, because your finances are a big part of your life. And if you cannot trust each other and merge to, to those two things together so that you're working on the same page toward the same long-term goals, um, it's going to be difficult in a marriage. So yeah. I think that's an important key over time. Absolutely. And I would say before you get married, sit down and, and uh, get some counseling. Um, make sure you open up. And uh, unfortunately, in this situation, there was not um, complete um, uh, honesty in what debts they had and so forth. So when they did get married, it was like a, oh, my goodness, you didn't tell me about you know the, the debts aha moment. Yeah. Yes, it was. And so they were, they were very scared, and, and I could tell the... <laughs> the challenges as I talked to them in their relationship. So we spent a lot of time on just the trust factor, sitting down, doing budgets together, talking about it, get the kids involved, um, use that great income that both of them had together to get through and, and make a new life for themselves. So long, long answer, but trust is a key. Yeah, it is. Good question, though. Okay, and that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call during regular business hours at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to um, lead off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is the six tips for getting a great car deal. Um, you know, guys, I mean, buying a car is inherently kind of a risky business. You know, there's a lot of minefields out there, a lot of booby traps that only work one way, and that's in the house's favor or in the dealer's favor. You know, I mean, the Internet once was the great equalizer for consumers where they could, you know, go to the Internet and they could find out a lot of information and avoid those. But now it's actually part of the booby traps, and it can hurt as much as it helps. You know, I mean, never forget 
dealers are in a much better, they are much better at selling cars than you are at buying them. They're professionals. They do it every day. You do it maybe once every five or seven years. So start from that humble, kind of skeptical position and recognize that, you know, you, you need to do some stuff to avoid getting hurt. Make yeah. sure you do your due diligence. That's yeah, you sure. don't want to get hosed, <clears throat> and you can definitely do that. So, But this is not to say that you should try to beat a dealership out of every you know last dollar of profit. I mean, you know, some buyers out there haggle like they're Egyptian at an Egyptian bazaar, you know, trying to beat somebody down on it. And um, But obviously the dealer, I mean, deserves to make a fair profit. So this is about getting a fair deal on both sides. And many people think they're good at buying cars, but uh, like a good wrestler, dealers are very good at using their alleged strength against them. So, you know, heed this warning. Yeah, I mean, car buying is an important process because one of the biggest purchases you make, you know, every five years or, or so and for many people, it's shorter than that or longer than that, but whatever. I mean, it's a big purchase, and you can overpay a lot if you don't know what you're doing. So, I mean, the world is now full of consumers who think they've scored a great deal by getting invoice price maybe off the web. Um, then they only get, you know, only to get hosed in the back broom, you know, on tack on delivery fees or expensive financing um, or some other kind of window etching maybe. You know, so here are the tips for buying a car without getting outmaneuvered by the professional car salesperson. Um, The first and foremost one that covers maybe three of these tips, and that is to isolate the negotiation to price only. That is first and foremost. You know, I mean, if you're if in other words, if you're going to, for instance, if you're going to get a loan, get the loan first at the bank. Of course, the money doctors here, they rec- we recommend paying cash for all of your cars. Uh, but if you're going to get a loan, do it at a bank, not the dealer. Dealers try to confuse you. A confused dealer, a confused consumer is a profitable consumer. So always go to the bank, get your own car loan before you go to the dealer. That way, your discussion with the dealer can be about one thing, and that is the price of the car, the out-the-door price of the car, not the monthly payment, not interest rates, not the discount, not the rebate. You want to simplify, simplify, and simplify the transaction down to only the price of the car. Yeah, good That's, advice. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to go along with that, also consider the trade-in. And what I mean by that, don't do the trade-in. Don't take the easy way out there um, by just saying, okay, well, you know, we can just dump the car. It'll be a uh, quick transaction because the price, the, the great deal that you might have gotten on the price of the car will be significantly offset by what the dealer usually doesn't give you for your car. You know, so, so don't don't make a bad trade. Take the time to, to list it on Craigslist. You know, park it at the local credit union. We have a place here in Aiken in North mm-hmm. Augusta where you can find great deals on yeah. cars sometimes. Yeah. You know, times. take the time to do that. Go out. Uh, is the extra money worth, you know, an afternoon of test drives and stuff? Absolutely. You know, take take the extra time to, to try to sell the car your, yourself. You'll get yeah. you'll get a much better deal out of it that way. Absolutely, yeah. Sell your old car yourself. Don't don't trade it in. That just confuses the deal. And then, you know, same thing in the same vein, focus on the out-the-door price. You know, always start by discussing the out-the-door price and insist on that. Don't negotiate up or down from the MSRP 
or bother with invoice or any other of the distractions. You know, find out what you'll have to write the check for to drive away with that car and talk only about that. Invoice price used to be a valuable tool when it first began pairing online, you know, years ago. But manufacturers and dealers, they have figured this out, and now they muck that up with all kind of holdbacks and other fees to convince consumers they're getting a cheap price while hiding their profits. Your job isn't to to beat the dealer, uh, you know, by paying less than you think the dealer paid for the car. Your job is to get the best price for yourself, the best fair price that the market will bear. So, yeah, get get the, uh, you know, focus on the out-the-door price. And all of that just isolate is talking about isolating mm-hmm. to price only, the negotiations. Yeah. Um, so next one here, though, is the be patient. Compare prices and be prepared to walk away. That's right. As with all goods, I mean, there's only one way to really arrive at a fair price, and that's to see what the market will bear by doing some comparison shopping. I mean, here the Internet obviously is still a a big help, but once you settle on the car that you want with the options that you want, you can email at least, you know, three dealers, ask them for the best out-the-door price. You can also find some great tools available online, edmunds.com as a true market value pricing, uh, as a reality check. But all that really matters is, at the end of the day, is the price, um, you know, the prices that the market will support, and you're getting a couple different people uh, and seeing what they'll, uh, you know, sell it to you for. So, yeah, I always do that. I always use the Internet. always get three prices from dealers that I'm really willing to go drive and buy it from. I think that's critical, you know, and the Internet really is your friend then. I mean, they all have their Internet sales departments, you know. You just email them, find the car on their lot, and say, that's the car I want a price on. What would it take for me to drive that off your lot? And, you know, get them to break down that price for you. And it really is it really is critical. And you got to be prepared to walk, too. I think that's mm-hmm. that's that's critical. Yeah, dealers, I mean, they may promise discounts or <clears throat> on trade-in values or doubling the book value on your old car or a check for $1,000 after they finance a car purchase through what's known as their negative amortization loan. You know, don't be tempted by all that. Just focus on the out-the-door price of your car. And and only head to the dealer once you've negotiated your best deal over the phone or the Internet. I mean, of course, dealers, they often try to find ways not to honor those emailed price quotes that they've uh, sent you. So make it clear up front and over the phone that you are writing a check before you go, and you're only going to pay the out-the-door price that you agreed to. If not, they're going to say there's a delivery charge because the color you found isn't on the lot after all or... They'll find new admin fee or an excise tax to charge you, or they'll say that you know the car that you had that you you were talking about. Um, it, it you know to their surprise, it has the two hundred dollar mud flaps <laughs> on it. You know, and you have to pay for that. I mean, it, that's okay though. I mean, that's your cue to get up and leave. You have to exercise your right as a consumer not to tolerate that kind of misbehavior um, that you often get. You know, at some car dealers. So. Knowing that four or five other dealers are going to be ready to give you roughly the same deal. So even if you head to the dealer where the email price is slightly higher, you'll pay less by not dealing with a seller who is baiting and switching you this early on in the process. Right. And and we're not here to, you know, just totally beat up dealers no, of course uh, by not. any means. And, and I know that's not uh, our intention at all. But be willing, like like Steve said, be willing to walk, and and you've got to have time. You've got to be patient when you do uh, enter a car a dealership place, and make sure that they have time for you. 
and that they're not just trying to rush you, you know, to the back room to get you to sign on a piece of paper. Uh, as with any good purchase, make sure that they're asking you the right questions and talking about your needs and, you know, the different things that, that you need and want within a vehicle. Um, and that'll make the, the entire experience that much more pleasurable for, for you and for everybody. And it, it establishes some trust because if they'll, if they'll do the smoke and mirror things on the front end, you know, just to try to get you to sign and buy a car, then what's it going to be like whenever you have other service needs later? Mm-hmm. Think, exactly. think about that, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe you head right after lunch or sometime when you have enough time. So if you walk away, you can go somewhere else and, and you know, check it. I always have a fallback position to where you can go to right. the second dealer and buy that car right. if that one doesn't work out. So that's a great tip. All right, number three here on the list is timing and rebates. You know, when is the best time to buy a car? You know, for years that question was easy to answer. It was always September, October, when the old model, you know, year ended and the new ones began. But all that's changed. Nowadays, new car models, they can be released almost any time of the year. Plus, automakers are are better at avoiding overproduction than they were in the past. Um, that can mean, you know, there's a shortage of new cars for some models at the end of the year, and that creates kind of a price squeeze on some cars, and it may be the one that you want. So you can read the tea leaves on that, though, by following the rebate offers, which are the, the, which the automakers, um, you know, have a way of kind of fine-tuning. They use that to fine-tune their sales. So if you see rebates falling, that means you won't get a better price by waiting. If you see the huge rebate, rebate, you can probably find the dealer who's desperate to sell that car model. Um, you know, buying at the end of a quarter may also help with the timing by making a difference uh, as dealers are trying to meet their targets. So um, anyway, we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call during regular business hours. 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. We are continuing our discussion here before the break about tips for getting a great car deal. You know, I mean, there are, it's one of the most expensive purchases that you make every five years, seven years, maybe. Um, and there's a, it, you can save thousands of dollars if you do a good job mm-hmm. of shopping around and getting a good price for a car. And they're just some simple techniques, you know, when you, if you're going to buy a new car from a dealer, um, you know, they usually try to confuse you with the price, you know. I mean, they'll talk about maybe buying from uh, the suggested retail price, and they'll try to negotiate from that. You have to trade in. A lot of people usually uh, will will put in the mix, and that confuses the whole issue. Um, so there are a lot of ways you can get confused and pay way too much for a car or not get a good price on a trade-in. So the first key that we talked about was to isolate the price down to the price of the car only. You know, don't don't talk about financing. Get that at the bank if you're going to get financing. Don't trade in your old car at the dealer. Sell that yourself. You know, focus on the out-the-door price only, not on invoice, not on MSRP, 
Um, if you do those things, that's one of the first keys to getting a great deal that you can compare apples to apples to other dealers. The second one was to be patient and make sure that you're getting prices from more than one dealer. Make sure you're willing to walk away if they renege on the offer that you've agreed to. And then the third one here we're talking about was timing and rebates. You know, when is the best time to buy a car? There's no secret to that nowadays because they come out with new cars all the time, new models throughout the year. Um, So it's not like the old days where it was September, October. Now it's going to be... Uh, maybe the end of a quarter, but it's whenever the, the, the rebates start going up on the model you're looking for. You know, that's what you want to look for. Um, and then when it comes to financing or rebate, you know, always take the money and run. I mean, don't do not do the financing. Of course, we our recommendation is yeah. to pay cash for a right, car anyway. Right, right. Absolutely. So, But the rebate almost always turns out to be a better deal than the low-cost financing. So avoid that trap. And then the fourth one here is bring a calculator. You know, I mean, speaking of misleading, I mean, I purchased a lot of cars in my lifetime. I've seen dealers make significant mathematical errors. As a matter of fact, I was cadding up the other day, and I think I purchased nine cars over my lifetime, new cars hmm. over my lifetime. So I purchased a lot of them, you know. And so you, you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta do some math, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And, and things check. can change. Have a calculator with you. Bring somebody else. Bring a friend if you need to to help you. You know, do the math and, and calculate things. If you can, though, do it outside the dealership. Agree on the price before you go. I usually try to calculate everything down and know the numbers before I go. Yeah. So but that's really the key. Is this an instant, too, where you might use either the, the 24-hour rule or the week mm-hmm. rule? Sure, absolutely. You know, making a major yeah. purchase? Oh, yeah. no, you definitely want to. This is not you something you want right. to. You don't want to do this. In, you don't want to do spur-of-the-moment oh, no, impulse sell. You walk into a dealership. Without knowing what you want and what price you're willing to pay, and you're going to lose. If you drive away with a car, you have paid way too much. Right. I'll promise you. That happened to my grandparents. You don't want to drive and walk into a dealership until you're ready to buy. Yeah. I don't even show up at the dealership till I'm ready to buy. Yeah. You yeah. know, till I'm ready to, till I know the price and I'm ready to buy it. And yeah. and the next thing on the list is it's not over till it's over. I mean, a lot of times deals go bad in the back room. They're they're trying to sell you, upsell you on extended warranty undercoating or so forth so forth so just tell them no you don't want that that's, that's right. not what you came in for so just stick to your guns hand them the check and be done with it yeah i like the way they put it here you know you would not stock up on candy in a movie th- movie theater no, that's right you know yeah that's not the place not to buy place add-ons to buy the dealership that's not the place to buy the add-ons and then the next one here on the list last one is listen don't listen read you know, forget what the dealer, what the what the guy says to you, um, or the car, um, you know, salesperson says to you. Instead, read the paperwork because some states, in fact, you know, they have a a law that says it doesn't matter what's said, what what is written is all that counts. Mm-hmm. You know, and that protects the dealer, not you, in a lot of cases. So you need to make sure you read all the fine print and you know exactly what you're signing. Um, take your time and make sure you you know exactly what the deal says um, in the contract. So and buying used is not a bad idea either. Right? Buying used is a great a great deal. It really is. I wish we had time to go into that tip. It's not always the best deal, yeah. so you have to figure you know do the math mm-hmm. on if you're buying a couple you know year old car. But yeah, I mean pay cash, buy used. That's usually the money doctor's suggestion, no doubt. 
All right, and that leads up here to our final topic, and that is what to do if you filed your taxes incorrectly. Ouch. Um, uh, before that, though, we have the prescription of the week. Real quick, uh, getting ready to retire, sit down and do a budget. Uh, sat down with a couple of people in the last couple of weeks, and we have a great budget worksheet. If you need that, if you're looking to retire, we can help you with that. Um, but just sit down and look at all your um, your expenses. It'll help you make the right decision. And for our young listeners, too, go ahead and start the budget now before we get to retirement. Yes. Because, you know, <laughs> when, when you get to retirement and then you have to totally change things and start looking at the budget, yeah. that can be quite challenging. That's right. That's right. Definitely. Good point. All right. Now, about taxes. 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 Here Tax we go. Gordon. All right. Let's, let's give the disclaimer here. You know, if you are listening to the show and you have specific tax needs and questions, please make sure that you contact your tax advisor <laughs> or CPA for further information. Uh, so, you know, what we're talking about here are, <clears throat> excuse me, is what do you do if you file your taxes incorrectly? Yeah. You know? Where yeah. do you go? What do you do? It happens. So we're, we're going to take a quick look at that. You know, taxpayers are advised to file their returns as soon as possible uh, for several reasons, in, in part to reduce their risk of taxpayer identity theft, uh, you know, and numerous other reasons. But what happens if you file right away and then discover you've left key information out of your return? Uh, a credit.com reader recently wrote to us and asked, said, uh, and this is, excuse me, this is also, this is written by this particular article by Jerry uh, Detweiler uh, from credit.com. But he, he wrote Jerry and uh, said, I, I already filed my taxes and just got a 1099C. What do I do? Well, here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't panic and just file the new return. Uh Doing doing so can just it can really mess things up and may delay the process of your you know return again. So, you know what should we do, Steve? Yeah, well, you know that's a great question, and we get that from our clients occasionally too. And the first thing I would say is if you have taxable investments, okay, you should not file your taxes early. You know, if you have taxable investments, you're getting dividend and and that kind of ten ninety nines. Back, you know, wait till the end of March to file your taxes. You can get a corrected return anytime. We yeah. just got notified there's going to be some of our clients that are going to get corrected, corrected 1099s. It happens. If you file late in March, chances of that are very slim. But you start filing, you know, right at the end of February, you, you very likely could have to redo it. And the bottom line is this, you know, if you discover that you need to, to correct something on your return, you have to file a 1040X, which is an amended return. Okay. You know, that allows you to adjust, you know, everything you put in your original return, allows you to change just what you need to correct on your return and refile it. It's not a big deal. It happens all the time. But file a ten a ten forty x amended return. Yeah, and sometimes um, you know if you're expecting a refund and you realize maybe some income has been omitted, uh, you may just sit tight. I mean, the IRS goes through and calculates your your return and they'll adjust it. They'll send you a notice saying what happened, but you may not have to do anything at all. Uh, so you're saying that they're going to look for their money? Yes, they are. They will get it. Yeah, and if you get a corrected a, a, a ten ninety nine C a corrected ten ninety nine. Make sure that it's worth filing an amended return for. I mean, if it's less than a dollar, a lot of times the, the changes are minuscule. Mm-hmm. If it's less than a dollar, don't file or correct a return. You don't have to worry. The IRS is not going to send you a notice for 95 cents. And you know, likewise, if you owe them another $5 um, or they owe you another $5, maybe it's not worth your time to file an amended return for $5. Well, and the hassle and the time that you'll put in. Right. So if it's, if it's to the IRS's benefit. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, you owe the IRS, it. you know, then the additional information uh, from a 1099 or other income may mean that you owe more. 
in that case, it's more important to file the, the 1040X as soon as possible and pay the amount. Um, Bell, which was uh, one of the founders uh, of the Don't Mess With the Tax blog, said um, you want to stop any interest and possible underpayment penalties as soon as possible. You know, So make amends there as, as quickly as you can. And then you also have the 1099C. Uh, in the case of some readers who uh, received a 1099C after they'd already filed their returns, one thing to understand is that the amount of income reported on that form may or may not be taxable. Uh, the IRS will assume it is taxable, however, unless you tell them otherwise. So the first step is to determine whether the new information will change the amount of taxes you owe or the refund that you actually get. Yeah, so you know, step one is to call your, your tax professional, obviously. Follow the instructions in Publication 4681, which is you know amending your returns. Figure out whether you qualify for some kind of exclusion um, to refiling your returns. Um, again, if it's not to your benefit, then you... Then, uh, if it's not worth refiling and you don't owe more money, right. then just maybe you shouldn't do it at all. Right. Yep. So, you know, just use some common sense. Don't panic. Um, but it's a Form 1040X that you'll need to file, and you can't do it online. You have to do it by mail. So, you know, it happens. Don't, yes. don't fret. Just, just get the form, download it, make the correction, Move send on. it in. Good That's topic. the bottom there you line. Go. Good topic. All right, that leads up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call as well. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Oh.